0: reading comes from the book of Mark, and it's Mark 14, verses 32 through to 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to a point of death, he said to them. Stay here, And keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, you are. Are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayers. May the Lord bless the reading of his word.
1: When I read this scripture, um, I think it needs to be read with a with a bit of a minor key in the background. You know, I think of uh, some of these classical pieces of music which are very emotional and minor key that just uh, really build all the way through. And when I think of this passage, that's what I imagine should be being played because I cannot read this passage without a heaviness on my heart. Jesus has never looked or sounded as human as he does here in the Garden of Gethsemane last last week we heard about how god breaks bread with those who break his heart but it's now that we start to see the heart of god breaking in such a way that it's almost too painful for us to watch the shadows along his friends have abandoned him in his moment of need just like he said they would and he's alone just him and god him and his father he's heartbroken But he's not wallowing. Instead, he's stealing himself, he's preparing himself for what's to come. He's in preparation mode. And he does this by drawing on the deepest source of strength and comfort that he can find. His friends, but more importantly, his his father. We will be looking at Mark 14, 32 to 42 on two separate planes. The the first is a is a human plane. Jesus is relying on his friends. And they let him down massively. The second plane is a spiritual plane. God the Son and God the Father are head to head, deep in conversation, doing serious business there in the garden. Now, we've all seen these uh, scenes of rockets blasting off, and it's super impressive. But of course, it's not just a one-man or a one-woman job. You've got the mission control, you've got flight control, you've got ground teams, you've got the astronauts and the physicists and the scientists and the physical trainers and the psychologists, you've got the engineers and the mechanics, highly, highly specialized people all working as a team. It's a massive operation involving hundreds or thousands of people over months or years of preparation. But it all comes down to this one moment, the, it's the countdown. It's the ignition. It's the lift off. All eyes are on this miracle hunk of metal rising slowly, too slowly it seems through the atmosphere. And then as the camera tracks that rocket, the, the propulsion stage, stage one, falls away and the rest of the rocket continues to rise even faster and then stage two f- falls away until all you're left with is the spacecraft as it flies out of sight into the darkness of the vacuum of space. And that's what we see here. Jesus arrives at Gethsemane with all of his friends, all his followers. Then he leaves most of them behind. We assume that Judas is elsewhere doing something else. In fact, we know that he's elsewhere doing something else. But he, he, he leaves eight of them and says, sit here while I pray. He then takes Peter, James, and John further in. And it's at this moment that we see Jesus begin to be deeply distressed and troubled He then opens his heart to this crew of three that his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow up to the point of of death. This one who commanded a storm to stop, who cast a legion of spirits out of a man, who turned five loaves and two fish into a feast for 15,000 people, this man who was unshakable is now breaking apart in front of their eyes. He tells them to stay here and keep watch. Now, that group of eight, he told to sit here while I pray, but Peter, James, and John have an added responsibility to keep watch. Verse 35 then tells us that he leaves these three and he goes even further into the garden alone, into the outer darkness of what the next 24 hours will bring and as he's walking he's so overwhelmed that he falls to the ground he's left his physical support system now it's just him and God and and even though he's alone in this conference of pain with his father he still needs his friends because they're filled with the fuel of prayer and he relies on this fuel keep watch He tells them, he pleads, and still they fail him. Now, we don't know how long he was on his own. But when he returned, he found them sleeping, as verse 37 tells us. Verse 39 then tells us that it happened again and again in verse 41. For whatever reason, whether it's simple tiredness or they ate too much Passover supper, m- most likely it's fear or grief. But whatever, uh, what, but whatever the reason, the disciples keep falling asleep. Now, back in Mark chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus warned them. He said, keep watch because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back. If he comes back suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. When I uh, worked as a deckhand on the Logos 2 from 2001 to 2003, part of my duties was keeping watch. Night watches were the hardest on this ship. I would alternate one hour on the bridge, steering the ship, and then one hour walking around the ship doing what was known as fire rounds. Now, when I tell people that I helped steer a 110-meter-long ship across the Atlantic Ocean, usually people are pretty impressed. And usually they say something like, that's so cool, that's awesome, I wish I could do that. No, you don't. Because what they don't realize is that that job steering a ship is really, 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 really boring. Because bridge watches usually uh, consist of standing up the helm and maintaining a course. The lights are off. There's no music playing. Talking is kept to a minimum. And you're just staring out into the inky blackness. And I remember many a time fighting to stay awake, fighting sleep, just like Jesus' followers here. Now, some might say that we should give the disciples a bit of a break. After all, it's not their fault if they're feeling tired. It was a long day, they've been through a lot. But as we look through what Jesus went through, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we start to understand how serious their failure was for example verse thirty three tells, tells us that he started to become deeply distressed and troubled. This is Jesus deeply distressed and troubled then he falls to the ground his legs just fall out from from underneath him in verse 35 as he prays and as that happens if he's walking along and he falls falls to the ground as he's praying can you imagine what's going through his mind for that to happen but we don't have to imagine because actually verse 35 tells us exactly what he's thinking it says he prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him the hour of his crucifixion And let's not for one moment think that he's merely thinking of the physical pain of the torture that he would have to go through. Because nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing in all of the universe comes close to the spiritual suffering of being separated from his Father. That soul-wrenching spiritual abandonment that he experienced on the cross as our substitute but what exactly was happening on the cross? Why was he so afraid? Well, Scripture gives us some clues. Because on the cross, we are told that He will feel forsaken by his father, Mark chapter 12, verse 9. On the cross, he will change places with us and put himself under the curse that the law put on us, the curse that is rightfully ours, Galatians 3, verse 13. On the cross, he will endure shame, Philippians 2, verse 8. He will become a sacrifice for us on the altar of God, Ephesians 5, verse, verse 2. He will be treated Like a criminal, Isaiah 53, verse 12, treated like a criminal both by humans and by God and by His Father. You see, it it was the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that created such a stunning plan in which Jesus would take our place, absorbing our punishment and the consequences of sin that should be ours. And what happens as I turn from my way and I trust in Jesus is that Jesus' righteousness becomes my own. It becomes legally mine. You can't take that righteousness away from me. And my sin becomes legally his and the consequences of that sin become legally his. You cannot hand it back to me. It's no longer mine. And that happened on the cross. He paid it all on the cross. And it's this thought of being separated from the father, of bearing our sin that causes him to pray in verse 35, if there is any other way. If there is any other way. Because there in the garden, the reality of what's going to be coming is hitting him like a ton of bricks. Now, please understand this. What this is talking about, this is what God has done for you. This is what God did for you. Whether you choose to accept it and believe or you continue resisting him and rejecting him, know this, that God did this for you. Now, we may not have been tasked with staying awake for Jesus in the garden, but we can fall asleep on the job that God has for us, just like his followers did With their best intentions, with all the willpower in the world, they fell asleep. They failed. And for us who are following Jesus, this is often where sin flourishes, right? We don't keep watch. We fall asleep, morally speaking, which is when we give Satan and our own sinful flesh the chance to establish a foothold in our lives, We choose to shut out the requests of Jesus. We hit the snooze button over and over and over again. And we say to Jesus, not now. I want another five minutes. Next time, I will obey. I will be holy next time. But right now, this is me time, Jesus. We all suffer from spiritual narcolepsy. We love the soothing soporific sounds of the world telling us that it's okay, everything's okay. You don't have to worry. We fall asleep at the helm. But verse 37 shows us how serious this condition of sinful sleepiness is, and it's worse than the, and this and this condition is worse than any physical sickness you will ever have. Sinful sleepiness. And we are told that there's a symptom, there's a diagnosis, there's a warning, and there's a remedy. And so the symptom of sinful sleepiness is falling asleep. Spiritual sleepiness. As Jesus says, could you not keep watch for one hour? Was that beyond you? And no, they weren't able to. They gave in to their human desires. In this case, it it, it, it was for sleep. And how many times do we fail when face-to-face with, tempta- with temptation in the arena of life? How many times have you failed? How many times have I failed? How many times you know, do we say to Jesus, I will never do it again, only you know, to do it again? And verse 39, really tellingly, tells us that the disciples did not know what to say you know that moment, right? When you're caught in the act, when there's nothing left for you to say. There's no excuse for you to be make. For you to make. It's, a, it's a horrendous feeling. And some of my times of greatest resolution to sin have been just after sinning, right? Is it just me? <laughs> Never again, I say. Whatever it takes... I never want to feel that shame again. Nothing can be worse than the feeling of knowing that I've let down the one that I love. And so a day goes by, and a week goes by, maybe a month, and then I do it again. Just like the disciples in verse 41, returning the third time. After that moment where they had nothing to say, he comes back And he says to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Unbelievable. And yet it's just like us. It's just like you and it's just like me. This sinful symptom is falling asleep. But just like any good physician, Jesus gives them then a diagnosis. In verse 38, he says this The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Now, there's no need for a second opinion here because Jesus is the physician. He's made a diagnosis. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, Paul, in Romans 7, verse 21, says this, Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Have you ever felt this civil war inside you? You know what you should do, and you even Want to do it, but you feel unable to do it. It feels as if you 've been invaded by an enemy power and Romans seven says that this state leads to the misery of shame and hopelessness no one No one wants to be there, right now, Last week, I talked about how sin and shame can feel like, like, like the bouncers barring us from god 's presence. But what happens when we acknowledge the sin and shame is that they then transform into the entry requirements into his presence, into his grace. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Have you ever felt like that? Because as Jesus' siblings, as his brothers and sisters, even though we've been 100% adopted into his family, we still wrestle with the old destructive habits that we learned in the foster system of sin. Inside each Jesus follower is a civil war raging. And if we don't keep the old nature in check, then we're on a dangerous path that leads to the worst-case scenario. And in this case, in Mark 14, the worst case scenario was the disciples choosing to save their own skin by choosing not to own their Lord. You know, they said, we don't know him. They ran away. They chose life over love for him. They chose fear over faithfulness. This would be the lowest moment in their lives. Jesus calls it falling into temptation what about you? What temptation are you at risk of falling headlong into? What is it that you've allowed in that if you don't get it under control, that it will lead you somewhere that you later regret to your worst-case scenario, to your lowest moment? But it does not have to be this way. Because what I believe is, is this... The same power that fueled Jesus to empty the cup of suffering that was in front of him was also available to his friends. That same power was available. They did not need to turn on him. It could have gone otherwise. But since they lost the battle against sleep in the garden, they lost the battle against fear later on. So what greater battles are you going to win in the future because of the smaller victories that you are winning today in Jesus' power? Or what battles are you going to lose in the future because of the losses you're choosing to sustain now? We've looked at the symptom, which is sleepiness. We've made a diagnosis. It's the old nature. It's sin. We've outlined a worst-case scenario, which is, uh, which is falling away, which is a major personal failure that wounds those we, we love. So what's the hope in the midst of this? How do we avoid this? What's the remedy? And verse 38 tells us that the remedy is three words, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Everyone say, watch and pray. Watch and pray. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. Watching and praying are not the same thing. They are, they are two separate efforts that must, that must be made. Watching speaks to the effort that we must make ourselves. It's, it speaks to engaging the will. It speaks to making a decision to do a certain thing. It is resolve and it is stick with itness. It's moxie, it's grit. It's the fruit of the spirit of self control. That's what it means to watch. And then prayer on the other hand, speaks to our need of God's empowering. It speaks to humility and realizing that we cannot do it alone. We need a principle and a power that comes from outside of us to enable us to do what we have to do. Prayer is connecting ourselves to the power station of God's power and love, as I mentioned in a previous sermon. And we cannot watch without praying, And we cannot pray without watching. Because if we watch without praying, then we become self-reliant. We think it's all up to us. We exhaust ourselves. We reach the end of our earthly resources. But then if we pray without watching, then we end up with woolly, drifty, nebulous prayers, God bless mummy, you know, God bless daddy, that, you know, really don't do much, much good. There's no sense of urgency So we have to watch and pray. So how is your prayer life? Are you seeking the Lord while he may be found? Isaiah 55 verse 6. Are you asking and receiving, seeking and finding, knocking and having the door opened? Matthew 7 verse 7. Are you letting your requests be made known to God? Philippians 4 verse 6. Do you believe John 14, verse 13, where Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Also, how is your watch life? Are you being watchful in all things? 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. Are you watching, standing firm in the faith, be, faith, being brave, being strong? 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Are you alert and of sober mind knowing that your enemy, the devil, has you on his menu? 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Are you being serious and watchful in your prayers because we have limited time? 1 Peter 4 verse 7. We used to sing, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Well, I'd like to offer this new version. Be watchful and pray. For there's no other way to win future battles than to be watchful and pray. To win the day, watch and pray. What you choose to do this moment, this day, this hour, has a direct impact on your future joy. You create this moment, the you that you will one day end up being. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The word Gethsemane means oil press. It was at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And I imagine that it was named that because it was here that olives were squeezed and pressed until the pure olive oil ran out. Their pure essence ran out. And so it's not a coincidence that Gethsemane is the place where Jesus began to be squeezed and pressed until he swept blood. It's also the place where the disciples began to be pressed, pressed by testing, pressed until the truest version of themselves came seeping out. And like I said before, I believe that they could have passed this test just as, D, just as Jesus did. And his test was infinitely greater than theirs. If only they had watched and prayed. If only they had fallen on and accessed the resources of Father God like Jesus did. And so here's a prayer that I want to leave you with. It's a prayer that can be just as powerful and effective for you in your oil press as it was for Jesus in his oil press. And I call this prayer the I Can Prayer. Feel free to write it down. Feel free to use it, to wield it. Feel free to make it your own. And it comes right out of the word here in verse 36. Abba, Father, Father everything is possible for you take this cup from me yet not what I will but you will so first pray to God from from a place of intimacy Abba father he's your father your dad know his love for you secondly Call to mind God's character and qualities as revealed in the Bible. What does Jesus say? He says, some things are possible for you. You might be able to change this. No, he says, everything is possible for you. Remember that he has the capacity to do more than you can ask or think. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Lamentations 3 Verse 21, that yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. What you call to mind determines your hope. Third, be authentic with him. Don't tell him what you think he wants to hear. He doesn't like these silly religious prayers. He's not interested in that at all. He wants to hear this. Take this cup from me. He wants honesty. He wants you, not the you that that you think he wants. So be honest to him because God responds to honesty. And lastly, rest in a place of non-resistance to his will, yet not what I will, but what you will. And it's this prayer that can move you from a place of I can't To I can Holiness replaces hopelessness Of course not in your power In God's power He's the one who can He's the one who can do immeasurably more Than we ask or think According to his power That works, that is at work within us Amen Amen So I can Intimacy calling to mind his character, authenticity, non-resistance. As you pray from intimacy, remind yourself that God is your Abba. As you, as you call to mind God's character, as you choose authenticity in your prayers, as you rest in non-resistance to his will, you can move from a place of failure to victory. It was this I can prayer that transformed Jesus from praying in verse 35 that this hour might pass from him to verse 31, to, to verse 41 saying, the hour has come, rise, l- let us go. You can see that change, right? He, he went from trying to, to avoid it to embracing it in the power of God Watching and praying led to supernatural power to endure the cross. That's the battle that was won here in Gethsemane. The next 24 hours would be the most horrendous hours of Jesus' eternal existence, not just his 33 years on earth, but but for living forever and ever and ever. This was the the worst moment of his existence. And yet this I can pray empowered him to not just endure it, but to face it with courage. And the good news is that this I can prayer of intimacy, character, authenticity, and non-resistance that empowered Jesus to endure the oil press of Gethsemane and the agony of bearing our sin on the cross will empower you to endure the oil presses of your life. Jesus' power to endure came from a place of extreme weakness and reliance and the same is with us you cannot do it alone no one can so let me leave you with one final I can I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me